Hey, I'm Aika Spencer, and I love fandom. I love the writing, some of which I create, the art, none of which I create, and the many aspects that make it up. With the pandemic in full swing, I decided the best way not to go crazy was to start a podcast around it. This one, Down the Fandom Hole, Conversations With. So putting on my big girl bra, I took a chance and reached out to other fandom creators, asking if they would like to share their voice and experiences around it. Amazingly, most of them have said yes. So taking a moment, we sit down and chat about topics like creativity, taking risks, self-care, and many more. I am humbled that I got to chat with all of these brilliant and interesting creators from around the world, and it has only cemented my belief that fandom can also be a bridge and common ground to inclusivity. We are all valid, and fandom helps us envision worlds in which we are. God, isn't fandom fucking amazing? Anyway, to keep me from rambling on, let's get this show started. On today's episode, Miss Array, whose pronouns are he, they, she, and I talk about packing, having a heart of a boy while trying to find a place in a female-centered fandom, and, at the end, some kinky, explicit conversation. Also, while listening to today's guest, check out the free companion post on patreon.com slash down the fandom hole. There you'll find some art, if the guest is an artist, and some other fun tittles of information. Well, thank you for joining me today. I'm, I'm excited to have you on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So let's get this party started. I seem to like that phrase a lot with um, talking a little bit about creativity and what got you into the Supergirl fandom. All right. I watched the show casually for season one. Mm-hmm. Um, I was excited about having, you know, a central female character hero, you know. And so I was definitely excited about the show in general. And I enjoyed the the first season for what it was. But I, I didn't really get super connected to any of the characters in season one. Like, I liked it, and I liked the storyline, and I liked the progression of the season, and I thought it was pretty well done. But I just hadn't really been drawn into the characters yet, especially, like, Alex as an example. I wasn't quite super attached to in season one. Mm-hmm. But then I remember seeing the promotional photos for Lena, and I'd known Katie from Merlin, and I was like, oh, damn, that's going to be spicy, you know? <laughs> um, and so, like, but I didn't really, like, I, I wasn't yet on Tumblr, actually, at that point. Like, uh, so I didn't really have any of, like, the background information. I just kind of, like, I don't even actually know how it was that I heard about Lena being played by Katie. Mm-hmm. Um, but that definitely caught my eye, and so I ended up watching... I think probably all at once I watched, like, episode one to episode eight or whatever it was of season <laughs> two and uh, was was pretty immediately attached to Supercorp just based off of that. And I think, if I remember correctly, I ended up house-sitting for my partner's parents. So the family went down to, like, Florida or something for, mm-hmm. like, I want to say, like, 10 days. So I was house-sitting for their four cats, and I was just, like, chilling at their place, and I didn't really have much else to do because 
that was pretty much all I was doing. And so then I ended up writing the majority of my first story during <laughs> that 10-day period. I feel like I wrote, like, five or six chapters. And that was the first time I had written in four years. Wow. Like that. Yeah. No, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't written in a long time, at least not in, like, any sort of, like, dedicated way. And I just kind of, like, fell straight into it, like, just got so hooked by the potential of the ship and, like, everything. And then was on the pain train of, like, everything that (laughs) the CW did with their characters and, you know, over the course of uh, the seasons, because I have actually watched all of it. Uh, which, because I know that a lot of people have not watched all of it, and I do not blame them <laughs> in the least for mm-hmm. that. But, yeah, watching it, I ended up, especially in season three, growing more attached to Alex as a character, and, like, you know, all the interactions with uh, Sam. Grew really attached to Sam. <laughs> really sad that she's been absent. And just, like, in general, uh, like, Nia being introduced was amazing, and, yeah, just grew more and more attached to the characters, and especially my version of the characters, I think, is is a big part of it, is that they became part of me and my way of processing the world and writing and my own creativity. Mm-hmm. And they became my fandom. That That's who I write for, you know? And then with regards to creativity, um, I mean, I've, I've definitely been a storyteller my whole life. Like, my parents would always talk about, like, you know, me daydreaming and, like, my imagination. And, like, even when I was playing, like, I have, I have a younger brother, and I'm the older of the two of us. And we would play all sorts of, like, imagine, like imaginative games, you know, like, running around as, like, Balto characters or, like, being no, gladiators. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, I would make up random stories for us to try and, like, play out. And from from even just, like, that young of an age, I was constantly coming up with stories and ideas and things like that. And I definitely was slow to learn how to, like, read and write, just developmentally. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't super quick. Like, I struggled a lot with, like, vocabulary and take things very literally. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, when (laughs) trying to read, like, work that is very, like, metaphoric, I've struggled so hard with that. So, like, I I was very slow to pick up reading and writing as a hobby and preferred storytelling in a more, like, interpersonal way. Yeah. But definitely in, I want to say middle school was when I started reading a lot. And I had just moved towns, so I was, like, the new kid in school. And so I spent, like, I I feel like all of eighth grade, like, every day I was reading a book. Because I wasn't really, like, interacting with anyone. So, like, I was just off in my own world reading. And then eventually writing. And writing has definitely become, like, the thing that I want to do, you know. Like, I Mm -hmm. want to tell stories in the written word, I guess. That's what I like about fan fiction, too, is that you can um, test things out and maybe write something that you wouldn't normally write as a mainstream artist or a mainstream writer, but you can mm-hmm. fully write it here. And yeah. 
test out themes that you think may be okay in this stuff or that you want to see if it's okay in a mainstream work because like like my thing's ABO which mm-hmm. isn't mainstream that much but it's fairly popular amongst people and then I'm like oh this is odd but you know yeah. it's, it's hard to find original ABO work which mm-hmm. would be awesome I think but yeah yeah they're actually testing things out I don't know if you read Hope it was one of my recent works that's um, tumblr yeah yeah so it, it i originally wrote it on tumblr yes and then i there were 10 pieces like total that i'd written on tumblr and i just kind of like compiled them together and put them on ao3 but that had actually started like the first piece right mm-hmm. i didn't write with the intention of continuing at all i'd actually written it kind of like as a way of getting the idea out of my head you mm-hmm. know well, the, the way that it's structured is it's it, each piece was pretty short, and it was mostly just trying to make that, like, impact, you know, like, get that gut punch in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, the first piece, like, literally it ends on a note of, like, holy fuck, this is what's happening. And so it, the idea was really just to tease what was happening in my head, you know? Mm-hmm. To, like, give people a sense of, like, this is what I was thinking about and people, you know, ended up really liking it. But like when I was writing it, right, that original piece, like there was no real exposition. Like most of it was just kind of like, I'm throwing you into this snapshot moment, like literally just a glimpse of like, this is where we're picking up from like Canon essentially. And it's very, it's not, it's not super canon compliant, but like it uses a lot of stuff from canon. But like, we're like, I just threw the reader into just like a moment. So there was no real build up. There was no like groundwork of like setting up the world. Like the world was just kind of like what already existed, you know? Mm-hmm. And then just trying to give like the barest amount to then make that punch happen. Like that impact of like, holy fuck, you know? (laughs) Um, So, like, that's not something that I could necessarily do in, like, a full story, like, starting at that point and just, like, having that, like, small little, like, glimpse. You know, like, most stories that I write don't work that way. There's a lot more lead-in. There's a lot more, you know, groundwork to be laid. And this was definitely not that at all. Mm But I liked, I liked working on just the impact, you know, like as a thing to practice, like just having my focus entirely be on setting up that. So that's definitely something that like I could only really do in fan fiction, especially because fan fiction gives you the world in which to do that, like. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't, like, these characters, people already know. I don't have to do that sort of work to set it up. I mean, Zed's definitely a different, like, sort of experiment. Like, I, and I wouldn't even necessarily call it an experiment so much um, in terms of, like, stretching my writing. Because for Zed, it was just kind of, it's, Zed's very straightforward in that, like, pretty much just take the canon story like all the same kind of like trajectory in terms of like when 
Zed lands on Earth when, you know, meeting the Danvers, um, growing up with the Danvers, you know, finally moving to National City, meeting Wynn, meeting Cat, you know, like following that same line that Kara did, but on top of it having the elements of my own experience of gender and like having Zed choose his name and everything. I guess for that story, it's like everyone knows the canon trajectory. So what I was telling was more so the parts of it that would hit close to the heart for someone who's dealing with their own gender journey. And honestly, I think you did a really good job. It didn't feel out of sync towards what was already known to like choosing to become Supergirl, having come from another galaxy, you know, having to learn to focus and filter out all the excess that it didn't have to do before. And then, you know, also having to come to grips with this other thing that is just maybe as difficult for someone who isn't an alien with superpowers. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the way you crafted the story to just make it all seamless. And while it was all these extra things, it didn't seem like it was outside the possibilities. Yeah, definitely. Kara and Zed are very similar, you know, and I do think there are, there are some differences um, just in terms of, uh, like, one of the things that I don't, I don't necessarily think I explored within the story, but, like, within my own headcanon, I do mm-hmm. think that Zed and Alex's relationship especially early on, is a lot better than Kara and Alex's relationship early on mm-hmm. in terms of, like, a lot of the resentment and struggles that Alex had with Kara and, like, all the stuff that comes up within the Red K episode um, and, like, a lot that hasn't actually even really truly been explored within the show because mm-hmm. like they they did the red k episode right and then i and i feel like there's a lot that's still alex harbors you know mm-hmm. that hasn't really been touched on since mm-hmm. um but i do think that between uh zed and alex that is not as prominent within like it's still there there's still definitely elements of Alex struggling with Zed being an alien, but there's also a lot that Zed does in terms of, like, being, like, putting more effort into being invisible that kind of comes from his own struggle with not liking the name, well, not really that he doesn't like the name Kara, but that, like, it has kind of this... Feminine um, connotation. Yeah, and and with that, a lot of ache, you know, like like hurt. Like, he knows that it's it has nothing to do with the name Kara specifically. It's just, like, what it reminds him of and what it brings up for mm-hmm. him. And so him being more likely to be withdrawn and more likely to put more effort into being invisible kind of then ends up making it easier for Alex to be protective, to kind of, like, tug mm-hmm. on those strings within her. So, like she ends up being much more of, like, a bigger sister early on in their relationship 
and that ends up mitigating a lot of the resentment that she harbored for Kara. So it's not like it's not like a perfect answer to it. Like mm-hmm. there's still going to be those feelings that they have to work through, um, but it's lessened, and I think they're a lot closer a lot earlier on. Um, and I haven't really gotten to explore that truly yet within his story, but that is something that like I had canon. So is Lena gonna factor into the story as like a possible love interest for Kara? For Zed? Um, yeah. Yes. Well, so definitely Lena's going to have her own chapter because the way that I've structured it is that, like, it's always Zed and a character. So, like, obviously we have Zed and Kara, um, and then Zed and Alex, Zed and Wynn. Those are the first three chapters. So Lena is going to have a chapter definitely because I do think that even if we, if you don't go the romantic route, right, mm-hmm. whether it's Kara or Zed with Lena, I do think that Lena is obviously a very significant person within both of their lives, and I do think that uh, what she represents to each of them can't be ignored, you know? Mm-hmm. So she's definitely going to have her own chapter, and I am torn about um, whether or not to make it end in a romantic way. Mm-hmm. Um Mostly because I've been thinking about, you know, uh, Boy from the Stars as an origin story, but it's it's also just kind of like a baseline, and I do want to have a lot of other stories with Zed that aren't necessarily. It's kind of like the retelling of the show with Zed as the main character, right? So if if I were to follow the same exact trajectory as the show, Zed would not end up with. Lena as of right now, you know? And then using Boy from the Stars as kind of like um, a jump-off point to do other stories that I would do the same as I would with Kara, definitely I do ship them together. And <laughs> and then Boy from the Stars was very much um, me trying to connect with Kara on a personal level. Um, and so then I ended up um, creating Zed as kind of that middle ground between the two of us. And so then from there is really, there wasn't necessarily like inspiration beyond that. It was like once I had created Zed as a character, everything else was just me telling the story. So I guess trying to connect with Zed meant kind of just like exploring my own gender on the page, mm-hmm. sort of. And try, sorry, excuse me. Um, trying to kind of like, backtrack through my own experience of gender and see how that lined up with Kara's story. So talking about your own personal sexuality, what was it like when you decided to, I'm not sure if this is the right way to say it, but to become a packer? And is a packer like the first stages before wanting to transition or is this just a or is this just its own kind of thing where people don't want to transition, but they want to have, or is it something that people just have this need for? I don't know uh, how to frame the question, perhaps. Yeah. Make um, makes sense. Well, packing and transitioning, like, they often go hand in hand, but they are not, like, it's not one is a precursor to the other or um, necessarily even connected um, mm-hmm. at all. So, like, some people will pack and never 
have any sort of like gender questions or have any desire for any other forms of transition. And it's just something that for them is comfortable, you know, or something they want for themselves, you know, for whatever reason. And it might not at all be connected to gender. For myself, I didn't, I didn't pack until long after I had already begun transitioning for myself. So I, I think I started transitioning. Well, so I didn't start hormone therapy until four, four, four or five years ago. Gosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I had started using different pronouns and a different name than my dead name eight or nine years ago. And then I didn't start packing until I started packing like within the last two years, I want to say. So I think it was pre-pandemic, but not much pre-pandemic. In terms of timeline, like I had already started going by he, him as early as uh, I want to say like eight, eight years ago, but I didn't start packing until like, I want to say like two years ago. So that's that's a six-year difference. So why the delay between transitioning and then packing? So for me, I mean, this is this is going to be different person to person, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what anyone is comfortable doing within their own life or, like, what they prioritize. For me, packing was not about, like, I was more drawn to security mm-hmm. in terms of, like, I was more inclined to um, bind um, so that I had a flat chest because that was very, like, visibly something that stood out, you know. Uh And so for me, I felt for my own security, binding was important, right? Uh And the same thing kind of went for um, hormone therapy was, like, I didn't feel secure within my own presentation, because I had, like, a higher voice, and I didn't have any, like, I was, wasn't particularly hairy, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and so for me, I was, I felt more likely to be perceived in a way that wasn't how I wanted to be perceived, Mm -hmm. and so for me, binding and hormones were kind of, like, essential to my personal transition, which is not the case for everyone. Um, but for me, that was very important. And packing felt more like, more for me, like kind of like a cherry on top kind of thing. So it wasn't essential mm-hmm. early on um, because it would, I, I struggle a lot with like <laughs> in, in my own life and in a lot of different areas, I struggle with what is necessary versus what is for me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so packing was definitely, definitely fell into the category of making me happy rather than making me secure. Okay. So, and I know that that's not true for everyone. Um, I know that some people find their own personal dysphoria. So some people definitely find it to be something that is worth pursuing for that, you know. But for me, it was definitely more of, a way to find further happiness within myself. That's probably where the delay came from because I also have ADHD. So, like, if something doesn't feel 
essential or necessary, you know, I tend to put it off a lot, even if it's something that would make me happy. Mm-hmm. So that's my own just kind of struggle with prioritizing things. It's the urgency um, of things, right? And now it's just the yeah. cherry on top or a yeah. flare to add. Right. I mean, I definitely, when I started packing, realized, you know, that being happy and comfortable within myself was more important than I really gave it credit, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so if I had started doing that earlier, I do, like, question sometimes whether or not, you know, everything else would have been easier just because I would have already had that kind of, like, uh, in my corner, so mm-hmm. to speak. But to me, it didn't feel essential. And, and, and I know that for myself, uh, largely due to the fact that I don't experience dysphoria to the degree that other people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, obviously I feel for other people who do experience that kind of dysphoria, but for myself, that isn't as impactful. But I definitely recognize that once I started packing, the emotional impact that that had was greater than I had realized. So being someone who has tra- who has transitioned and you kind of have this otherness to it, it's not, it's personal and it's all your own. Was it important for you to try to create characters within the fandom that you liked that made you feel more, um, I don't want to say validated, but that gave you kind of like a, a picture to be able to see? Did that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, so definitely that was the driving force behind creating Zed, um, was the fact that, um, I got attached to characters and a fandom that is largely female, right? Mm-hmm. And so while I identify with that in, you know, like on the queer side of things, and have at a point in my life identified both as female and as a lesbian, right? Mm-hmm. At some point in my life, that was something I connected with. Mm-hmm. I definitely am drawn to these characters, and, you know, them being queer is important to me. Um, and so for me at that time... I was definitely struggling with the fact that, like, all of the characters that I was attached to um, and all the characters that I identified with were female. And so, like, that was very hard for me to um, reconcile was I, I and, like, and that wasn't exclusive even to Supergirl. It's, like, most of the characters that I tend to identify with are female just because those are the personalities that I tend to grow attached to. And like, those are the characters that have the types of stories that I like. So it is very, it's kind of lonely um, in a way to try to fit myself into the fandom that is predominantly female and to know that like, I'm, you know, especially at the time, you know, male and trying to sort through writing two female characters, you know, Mm -hmm. at a time and talking about love 
from the perspective of female characters and how they approach the world and how they are affected by the world and, you know, all these things that, like, I've known and I've lived, but I don't, didn't, like, at the time and don't now live, you know, like, I'm tangentially connected, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's not my story, you know, like, I, I feel a lot of the time this kind of, like, I'm, I guess, invading the fandom, and I know that that's kind of, like, that's not true, you know, <laughs> like, that's not how it works. Well, There's... I feel like you're adding another layer to it. I mean, if mainstream media was a little bit more forgiving or a little bit more open on certain things and they didn't create characters that fit into their own sort of subsects, like, you know, or the lesbian character or the gay character or the trans character, but also the trans character who doesn't fully want to be girl or boy almost, you mm-hmm. know, but has, like, how you have it. Like, you don't need to change your your genitalia in order to feel like you're a boy. You can have mm-hmm. the stuff. You just, it makes you feel good to have some sort of prosthetic in place instead. And so I'm sure there are other people who maybe have the reverse of that or, you know, they want the, they want to have boobs and a penis and you're like, okay. Yeah. If it was more of a representation and I think that's what's great about fan fiction, right? So, or even fan art, it ever got that, when it gets that graphic. It is definitely, especially if you've, if, if you've not spent a lot of time questioning your own gender, because, like, I mean, I I literally, when I was, like, four, right, mm-hmm. I had told, I think, my mom that I had the heart of a boy. Mm-hmm. That's how I described it. I mean, those were the words that I had at the time. Like, I didn't know, like, what transgender was. Like, that wasn't a thing that I had the language for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew as early as, you know, being, like, you know, three or four or whatever when gender starts to become something that children understand. Like, I had Mm -hmm. already had the sense that I was not what I wanted to be. And I felt disconnected and probably very, like, envious of my brother and, like, the treatment that he got and everything. So, like, I was was aware very early on that that was a thing. And even though I had kind of, like, a lot that kind of put that on the back burner, like, I wasn't exploring it constantly, you know, like, I, like, I didn't transition at all until I was in college, and I went through various stages of, like, different identities and, and all that kind of stuff. That was definitely something that I have been thinking about in some form or another for 25 years. So did you have a lot of support from your family when you finally came to grips with your own self and you found kind of a place you like being and that you're happy with? So as far as I've told them, yes. (laughs) So my parents and my brother and um, my stepsister are all aware that I go by Cal and are aware that I'm in a partnership with, (laughs) you know, my partner. But I tried to explain asexuality to my mom, and I think she's ace. (laughs) Um, but she tried to convince me that all women are like that. And I was like, mm, no, no, <laughs> not at all. 
<laughs> you know, you believe what you want to believe. Yeah. I, I did. I did try that one with mm-hmm. my mom, and that didn't didn't super work. But I like mine has kind of shifted like my own understanding of because like, I don't even know if asexuality really works for me as an identity. Like it, it, it kind of gets close. You know, the way that other people have described their sexuality kind of almost gets it right, but, like, not really. Not, not it as, like, Demi or any of the other ones that I've um, come across, like Grey Ace or anything like that. Grey um, Ace. I didn't realize there were so many possibilities. Oh, goodness. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> um, there's, well, because there's all different types of, like, Demi-sexual that I actually just got introduced to, like, the different breakdowns. I know there's different types of asexual as well. Not that I could define all of them. But, like, none of the way that people have described it has necessarily felt truly what I experience. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, when I talk about it, it it comes with a lot of qualifiers. Mm -hmm. Because I don't feel like just saying I'm asexual works. The same way that I don't think that saying that I'm aromantic works either because, well, that one's actually harder because I don't really know. Because, like, the definition of, like, lacking romantic attraction, like, Mm -hmm. that kind of, like, sphere of, like, where it defines it with the concept of romance included Mm -hmm. in the definition, it's very hard for me to say whether or not that's true because I don't really know how to define romance mm-hmm. as like a feeling like i understand it in partnership i understand it in security and trust and all that but like mm-hmm. i don't view those necessarily as romantic romance. yeah and so like i don't know if i experience romantic attraction um because i don't know how to define romantic attraction <laughs> so that's also a tricky one and makes everything really complicated when I'm trying to describe what I am, you know? It's unfortunate that we have to try to describe what we are to be able to create connections sometimes. Yeah, because, I mean, that is kind of the thing, is, like, the reason I have to describe that in the first place is so that someone else knows they're compatible, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? Because for me, it's kind of like the thing that defines who is compatible with me so, like, mm-hmm. ignoring their own stuff, right, what they're attracted to or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, a person who I can be attracted to is someone that I feel like I can connect with and who I can trust. And, like, mm-hmm. that's literally all that it is. So, like, it doesn't matter what their orientation is. It doesn't matter what their gender is, their genitalia, their anything. Like, uh, like none of that stuff matters to me. Mm-hmm. So, like, the importance of that is only in the other direction, you know, whether or not they can be attracted to me as a person, right? And then mm-hmm. I have to try and define all of the various whatnot <laughs> to, to, to be like, hey, <laughs> these are the things that you're getting into, you know? So, yeah, like, it, it's it's weird that I have to find those labels in order for someone else to use them to determine whether or not it's possible. So what was it like finding your partner with that kind of odd internal conflict? Or not conflict, but 
disconnect or? Yeah. So uh, we started dating before I actually started transitioning. So we've been together, we're going on nine years now. Oh, wow. So I, yeah, I started transitioning like four or five months into us dating. So they uh, know my dead name. They originally used my, uh, she, her, those pronouns for me. Mm-hmm. And they were actually better about it than I was, like, in a sense of I had a lot of, like, feelings of being, like, an imposter and, like, whether or not I'm performing properly or if I'm lying about something or, you know, like, you know, maybe these feelings aren't real. Maybe I don't actually want to be this. Maybe I just want it for, like, whatever, like, people harp about it being a phase or whatever. Like, I I think a lot of that kind of crept into my own mentality, and I was struggling to kind of tangle all of that. Mm Mm-hmm. And my partner was very much like, no, you are who you are. And like, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And I was like, you make that sound so easy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> that was actually um, definitely just really nice having that support um, mm-hmm. and, and having the freedom to figure myself out without feeling like I was going to lose them. In the mm-hmm. process. So if it's cool with you, I'd like to kind of circle back to fan fiction and creativity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So as a fanfic writer, what's kind mm-hmm. of your writing process? Are you like a pantser, planner, plotter? Um, how do you get your inspiration? I guess we did touch upon that a little bit, but are there anything is there anything else that inspires you or yeah, okay, so I'm definitely a pantser. <laughs> like, I definitely wish I was a plotter. And and for things that, like, for my original story, I'm definitely going to do a lot more plotting. Like, that's something that I don't intend to just kind of rush into. But most of my stories, and especially these days, are very much just pants and go so like hope was very much i had the idea i wrote out the initial like kind of teaser not expecting anyone to you know interact with it at all and then (laughs) people love angst so like they ate it the fuck up (laughs) um and uh so then it was like i had a few kind of other bits of it that were kind of like oh that would be like an interesting thing to include but like I just kind of did did a lot of just like off the cuff writing trying to further you know expand on the thought experiment of it you know because that's very much what hope was was a thought experiment and so there wasn't a planned end there wasn't like literally i stumbled upon the ending which <laughs> i don't know if you've read it but um people people did seem to like the way that i ended up navigating towards resolution mm-hmm. but not a thing of it was planned <laughs> i swear to god like i just was like oh this sounds terrible let me write it down <laughs> um every day cuz i think i wrote i think i wrote it over the course of it was either 10 or 11 days. I think I skipped one or two days for the finale, and then mm. I wrote a double in one day. So I think it was 11 days total that I took to write Hope. I'm very bad 
if I if I start to plan something, I just lose steam mm-hmm. um, really fast mm-hmm. um, because I get too caught up and then trying to force myself into my own plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that it's better if I have like little like seeds of ideas. Yeah. Like like for hope, I remember having this thought about Alex showing up, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know when or where or how this is going to happen, but I want a line about how, like, Alex is a threat. And, like, that was the whole thought that went into the segment that Alex was in. That was legitimately all I planned for it. I I like the organic feel of just letting the characters run. Mm -hmm. Um, And usually (laughs) I do a lot of, um, like, I want to say that most of my writing is actually just rearranging (laughs) And, yeah, there are days when I'll write pretty chronologically and, like, Mm -hmm. paragraphs will just kind of flow naturally on their own. And then there will be days when it's literally my (laughs) screen is covered with, like, 70, like, fragment sentences. And I have to play this, like, copy and paste game of trying to, like, oh, yeah, no, this dialogue goes with this action goes with this whatever (laughs) <laughs> like literally just like drag and drop different segments together and then like oh this kind of works so then like now I'm going to flush that out into a paragraph mm-hmm. and then now I got to move on and like hopefully like usually I try to aim for that kind of chronological um, flow because I mm-hmm. do feel like usually the pacing is better mm-hmm. with that and I don't lose track of the theming that I've thread through a section. So if I'm writing in the segmented uh, way that I often do, I can sometimes lose track of theming, and I don't like that as much. Um, but it's definitely a good thing for when I get really stuck in a, an area. Um, I know. I know that when I like write, uh, I'm. I'm a pantser, or I'm a slowly reforming pantser. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, like, writing synopsises of chapters, and mm-hmm. I just put in the characters, and then I just write what I want the characters to do. And then from there, there the story kind of blossoms out, where now it's kind of an idea as opposed to I, I'm not going to plot the crap out of it. It's just like, oh, Lena does so-and-so and so-and-so, and then Cara does so-and-so and so-and-so, and... It's made it much easier, I have to say. Yeah. Well, I haven't done a lot of um, multi-chapter things in a while, Mm -hmm. and I think that's in part because I haven't um, figured out how to do the planning part. (laughs) So a lot of my writing has been single chapter or, like, multi-chapter, but, like, each chapter works, like, just as itself, and then it's kind of like the continuation is not so much um, about the previous chapter. It's just like uh, chronologically it continues, you know, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, what about your the story subconscious where Lena uses VR too? Yeah. <laughs> Or she surprises herself when the VR sim ends up being Kara, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, that one, oh, gosh. Well, okay, so that one was actually uh, prompted to me 
Lena VR's her first time with Kara. Like, that was the prompt, mm-hmm. right? And so then that's pretty, <laughs> pretty open. And for me, I like to play with things from a, like, in a mental way. Like, like mm-hmm. for me, approaching pretty much all of my writing, I think, is very, like, emotionally impactful. I mean, maybe not all of it. <laughs> There's probably some some uh, filthy stuff that's that's pretty much no feelings whatsoever. But <laughs> well, you need that too. So yeah, yeah. I think the majority of my stuff tends to be very c- cerebral. Mm-hmm. Like that might be a bit of a <laughs> stretch in terms of like I'm giving myself a little bit too much credit. But I mean, like in the sense of it, it's. It is very, like, heady. It's, like, it's supposed to be in your head. And so subconscious is very much, like, the most potent version of that because it's literally all in Lena's head, you know? It's, like, everything that she wants, everything that she doesn't realize she wants, mm-hmm. and, like, kind of giving into that in this experience that completely derives its kind of cues and, like, what it does from her subconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, the algorithm is completely playing off of what she's feeling. And so, like, I found that to be a very interesting direction to, to take it, like, to not have her be in control, not have her try to think of Kara, right? Which didn't um, work for her, poor thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when she was like, mm, wait, maybe I should not do this, and then it didn't work out, yeah. yeah. Um, but... Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I liked the idea of it being this kind of, like, her getting caught up in her own emotions, and it was literally just, like, pure horniness. You know? <laughs> it was kind of horny. I was like, huh, this yeah. is interesting. Yeah. Uh, Five thousand words. Awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't, there wasn't any other context. It was just all smut, right, I think. Yeah, <laughs> she she vaguely thought about her feelings as she was trying to get herself off, but it was yeah. never actual like sit down, you know, get actually calm and introspective and think about it. It was just like I can't get off, and I'm still thinking of my friend. But you're like, yeah. okay, well, you yeah, know. five thousand words, of, <laughs> five thousand words of that. <laughs> yeah, so. um yeah, I think that's kind of what catches my attention is the physical actions aren't necessarily the thing that I'm interested in, huh. you know? For me, it's very much, like, the scenario, the context, even, you know, in, in the case of subconscious, it's like the context is literally she's super horny, but they ha- they're not in a relationship at all, like, that's her best friend, but, like, now she's imagining it. But it's not even imagining. It's, like, literally she's having it projected into mm-hmm. her head, and it's mm-hmm. so real and it's so, you know, potent and, like, mm-hmm. like tangible and, like, everything. So it's, like, it's so hard to... Separate. Yeah, and to turn away from it. And so I really like that as a as kind of a direction to go. And then... So the second part, the, the, the initial chapter of Back to Reality, right, uh-huh. um, was mostly just set up for what is to come. Uh-huh. Like, I wanted to have kind of the resolution of things that happen in subconscious. Uh-huh. Um, 
so that then we can move forward to the 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 really filthy stuff. Oh dear. Um, yeah. <laughs> Because VR opens up a lot of possibilities. Um, so wait, does she ever is she, does the relationship turn into real life, or is she in part? Yeah. Yes. Oh. So so back to reality is where she ends up back in reality uh-huh. and has to confront Kara and deal with the fact that you know stuff was happening in her head, you know, uh-huh. but then. It is, uh, I've set it up as kind of like one continuation of subconscious. Like, mm-hmm. I could imagine multiple different ways that subconscious could play out post that event, right? Mm-hmm. But this is one version, and it's going to set up them using VR for their relationship. Um, so, let's get into a little bit of self-care. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just kind of got out of pandemic. Everything's been thrown into rares. How do you kind of stay grounded? So self-care is actually something that I struggle with a lot. I I find that uh, writing and creativity is something that I tend to have kind of like a lot of guilt wrapped up in, mm-hmm. like in a sense of like, one, if I'm writing, that means I'm not doing whatever other thing that I could or should be doing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if I'm doing something else self-care-wise, right, like gaming or reading or hanging out or whatever, I find that I then feel guilt over, like, not writing or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the extension of all the guilt that I had while writing. <laughs> and that, so that's been something that I've been working on a lot more recently, trying to understand that, like, my creativity is important, but it's also not something I should try and force. Mm-hmm. And so I've been doing a lot more to take a step back when I recognize that I need to, mm-hmm. you know, take a day to game or whatever, or, like, a night, uh, and just, like, not think about anything, you know? Because, like, sometimes that's just really what I need is to just, like, let my brain shut off for a mm-hmm. bit. That's something that I'm I'm, I'm actually getting a lot better at, uh, especially, like, the last, like, I want to say, like, three to six months. I've been doing better about that, just letting myself have that time and recognizing that it is important to have that time. You are not going to work efficiently. You're not going to be your best in other areas of life if you don't take time to just unwind, you know? No, that's true. And so that's been something that I've been working a lot more to recognize is that Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to have time to enjoy creativity and I'm, allowed to have time to enjoy just the quiet of, of playing, uh, you know, a game or, or reading or, you know, hanging out with my cat, not talking to people, not not thinking about the fucking shit show that is the world, you know, like just uh-huh. <laughs> have, have a little bit of peace and quiet to myself. I think I've also been working on trying to write stuff that 
I like more. Uh-huh. Because there, there is a lot of pressure, and especially within the way that, you know, fandom works in general. Like, you know, you, you have metrics like uh, hits and kudos and mm-hmm. comments and notes and stuff on Tumblr or whatever that can impact the way that you see your own work. And there's this pressure to cater to audiences mm-hmm. to choose topics that get more traction, you know, like, or, you know, create more buzz or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that if, if I try to press myself into that kind of thinking, mm-hmm. I end up draining myself a lot faster. Whereas if I'm just writing what I want to write, whatever comes to mind, like even at the expense of other works in progress, you know, like just write what makes me feel good at the moment has been treating me a lot better. And I've been in a lot better space writing wise doing that. And I, I do think that's something that a lot of people struggle with, especially in the kind of like large fandom space that you know we're in where there is a lot of talent mm-hmm. um there is kind of this it's very easy to compare yourself and to question whether or not your writing is good enough or worth it or whatever you know you know whether or not you got comments or shares or you know whatever reblogs mm-hmm. to attach that kind of traction to the writing, even though it shouldn't hold any sort of factor, you know? Yeah. I know when I write, sometimes I get worried about the kudos, and then sometimes I fr- I'm i like, I don't, I'm, I'm all good. I'm happy I posted this story, and if it sucks, it sucks, and I hope people do like it and can see it and stuff like that. So I get what you're saying. Yeah. I've had a lot of stories that I'm like, wow, I, you know, like this was not the one that I thought would would catch on you know like this was just Mm kind of like me throwing something out there and this like got so much steam and like people really liked it and like was sharing it all over the place and then I have something that I'm like really super proud of and you know like I put like a lot of effort into editing it or whatever and I'll post that and it's like nothing it's just like you don't know if it's poor timing you don't know what the factors are you know Mm-hmm. Like, if it's just, like, it happens to be a topic that's, you're like, only you like or whatever, you never really know what the actual reason is for why something doesn't catch on, but it's, like, so easy to get caught up in the, the, the like, perceived meaning of all of that, you know? Like, and I definitely had a stretch where I was just, like, I was so caught up in my own head mm-hmm. about it, and that was, that took me a long time to break out of and to, like just start to write for myself. And and I do think that when you do write for yourself, people are actually more um, receptive to it. I think my writing was a lot better when I was writing for myself than when I was trying to write for someone else, you know? Mm-hmm. So what was it like the first time you posted? Were you worried about rejection or was there a lot of struggle with it to go, okay, I'm going to post this and whatever happened, it's fine. and It's okay. Um, uh, well, definitely I was uh, early on very attached to comments. Um, I wasn't on Tumblr until 
probably closer to the end of season two of Supergirl, I didn't have a lot of the the Tumblr side of things. Like I I wasn't like I wasn't really like chasing like anons or anything, you know, like any sort of like popularity in that regard. Because like I, I've written technically for other fandoms way back when. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I, I had probably a few um, Twilight fanfics. I want to say, <laughs> uh-huh. um, like like years and years ago. Like like I don't know what my name was um, mm-hmm. at the time, but uh, like that was like fanfiction.net. Like when when that was still like the primary uh, source of fanfiction. I had mostly good from what I recall, interactions with my work in in those days. Um, so when I was posting for the first time for Supergirl, I kind of just had the same sort of expectation that, like, most of it was just going to be pretty positive. And, like, I remember uh, when I finally had the reveal happen in my first story, like, I got, like, fucking 75 comments or some shit like that. Like, people were going <laughs> going off about the cliffhanger I had for that chapter. Uh-huh. And, like, well, because that was, like, really in, like, the early, early days of Supergirl when there was, like, a lot of buzz and there was not much content yet. Uh-huh. And so, like, people were all over that. <laughs> but I've had a few occasions where, like, I had uh, this one story that I ended up losing steam on. I, I was actually really, uh, I really liked the concept of it, but one of the chapters, someone had said that I'd like dumbed Lena down mm-hmm. which like really sent me for a loop of like I didn't think I had dumbed her down at all like that wasn't my intention at all and that had really that got under my skin a bit and and I remember that kind of killed my mood for that story which was really unfortunate but I don't I don't typically experience no that's definitely a lie um <laughs> I definitely <laughs> experience a lot of anxiety <laughs> posting my work and it, it does vary um like, there are some days when I'm much more confident about um, my writing, but I definitely have times where I end up posting more so out of a, fuck it, I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't want to be looking at this anymore. I don't want to edit this anymore. I'm just, like, sick of it, so I just want to put it out there so it's done. <laughs> you know? Like, I'll definitely have those kinds of days. Less so in the recent months when I've been much more um, kind with myself about my writing. Mm-hmm. I think that was much more something that came up when I was forcing my writing a lot more. Oh, as opposed um, to just doing it for yourself. Yeah. So I feel like I've I've experienced less less anxiety uh, overall, um, but mm-hmm. I definitely still do experience like, especially like within the first few hours after posting, if like there's been no interaction whatsoever, like I'll definitely have times when I'm like, oh god, maybe this wasn't good. Maybe this was bad. Maybe this. Maybe maybe I shouldn't have posted this one. Maybe I, maybe this one needed more editing. Maybe I don't know. Like, but for the most part, these days I've been. Um, I don't really like. I don't really worry about comments so much. Like, I, like other than that one that I described, I've I've only really had pretty positive interaction with my work. I, I guess that kind of gives me a bit more leeway to not have anxiety. I guess. That's true. Okay, we are now entering into the more explicit portion of the conversation. So if it's not your cup of tea, thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to connect with my guests, check out the episode's description for links where you can follow them. 
Also, take a moment to visit my website, iacaspencer.com, where you can find links to follow me on my social media, become a supporter, and submit suggestions for other fandom ships, artists, and writers. Let's continue on with the rest of the episode. All right. So, getting into the kind of the kinky stuff, mm-hmm. you the story "You Are My Dog" talks mm-hmm. a little bit talks about the whole dom sub dynamic that Lena and Kara employ to, I guess, add spice to the relationship or allow the other partner, even though Kara usually was the dom in the situation. Mm-hmm. To release some tension and things, mm-hmm. is it is uh, is it something that you yourself have practiced? And if so, how did you get into it? Well, so I have uh, not practiced that specifically. Um, so I, I've, it's been years since I have practiced, and what I practiced was not what I'm interested in now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I practice mostly with bondage when I practiced, um, and like sensory play. And that was, that was pretty much the extent, like there was a little bit of Dom sub to it, but like there wasn't, you know, pet names or anything that was involved. It wasn't any uh, super extensive. It was surface level, I guess, but I, I've always had an interest in uh, power play uh, and power exchange as an element of my own way of getting off, I suppose. I just find it to be very conducive for the type of, like, emotional state that I want to be in. Mm -hmm. Um, I do wish I (laughs) practiced more, especially as I've learned more about kink and what is actually available and how to explore it in a safe way Mm -hmm. Um, and like my understanding of consent has definitely grown (laughs) as I've grown you know and like what constitutes as consent and how to navigate you know different things that could otherwise limit consent you know in terms of like someone's gagged you know the ability to say yes or no uh, obviously shifts, you know, as an example. Um, and so recognizing how to communicate uh, in those different scenarios, um, knowing how to communicate things ahead of time and how to have those kinds of conversations is something that I didn't have um, a lot of awareness of when I was practicing, unfortunately. But then again, I my experience was pretty limited as it was. But I would definitely like to branch out further into um, the things that definitely do interest me now. One, I mean, having, having the pandemic is definitely its own trying to navigate anything when you can't really get together in person with people is just extra headache and trying to find people who are into the things that you're into or, you know, have the same understanding of, consent and boundaries and negotiation and that sort of stuff is unfortunately not as easy as I would hope. It's kind of something I've left more to opportunity than uh, that I've pursued actively, especially recently. But in terms of exploring it within my writing, it's definitely something that's evolved. Like writing is such a good way to 
um, put myself into a headspace, and and I, I don't know if I necessarily identify as like top or bottom or like anything like that. Mm-hmm. I'm very much open to a lot of different um, experiences. Is there like a talk between you and your partners where you talk about limits and hard, oh, hard yeah, limits absolutely. and stuff like that? Yes. So my current partner, the person I've been with for about eight and a half years now, um, is not into power play and is not into BDSM as kind of a whole. They're not into it. But there have been different things that, like, we've talked about. You know, like, I've had conversations where it's like, okay, so I know you're not into, you know, this kind of power exchange, but, like, um, what if we were to include this element and, you know, we can set it up so that, like, this is the scenario, so it, it doesn't feel as much like a power exchange. And, like, so we, we tend to kind of do not so much, like, watered down, but, like, there are, there are certain things that we've kind of, like, negotiated. So just between the two of us, we've negotiated more for inclusion of things than we have exclusion of things, mm-hmm. um, just mainly because there's a very, like, blanket, not statement, but like there's there's heavily like most things are a no go kind of a thing. So it's mm-hmm. it's a lot easier for us to approach it from the what to include rather than what to not include. But with other partners, it, it's very much like how do we um, negotiate boundaries? Like so for myself, I know that I'm not into pain. Mm-hmm. Like so like that's going to be very much like mostly a no go. There are like a few areas where I'm like okay, you know like. If it's spanking, that's, you know, that can be okay, but, like, I don't want it to get to the point where I'm feeling the pain more than I'm feeling the pleasure, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. So, like, there's negotiation like that. And for me, like, if I'm on the Dom side, right, and someone's like, I'm into pain play, I'm like, oh, gosh, like, even if I'm not feeling the pain, I feel it sympathetically, even though it's not technically affecting me in a direct sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to have kind of like a knee-jerk reaction to Other that. people's pain? Right, yeah. I can probably perform some things, but I can't perform everything for you. And so there is like a lot of negotiation around that and trying to like determine what is okay, what might work, and like how to um, navigate out of certain situations, like if it's going to be a hard stop or like a, you know, kind of a pivot. Definitely a lot of negotiating. Um, I know that there are, like, lists and stuff that you can go through and, like, you know, that, that'll that have, you know, breakdowns of all different categories of uh, areas of play. And I've not technically filled one of those out completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a pretty decent sense of my own boundaries and interests at this point. So, and I kind of prefer the conversation and I know that that is a tool for kind of uh, facilitating that conversation mm-hmm. um, and so like I definitely um, would probably use that for someone I don't know super well mm-hmm. if I were trying to set something up with someone that I wasn't familiar with in like a like a friendship kind of way I would definitely go down the whole list sort of a thing um, being able to understand what uh, leads to, you know, like, getting into a subspace. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I would have a lot harder time 
describing what it is that other people like about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, it's better to write what you know anyway or right. have first-hand knowledge of for certain aspects. Yeah, exactly. And so you do, like, get that from Kara and You Are My Dog is, like, you know, the descent into subspace and, like, you know, um, what it feels like to be wearing the collar. Because, like, then you have Kara being a super, would she feel the collar the same way? Would she feel the tug of the leash, you know, and trying to imagine what that's like, like where the headspace would take her. Because mm-hmm. um, she's some- pretty deep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she did. And and that was something that I did end up covering um, was her essentially going too deep, not necessarily in, like, that it was actually too deep, but too deep in that, like, they hadn't negotiated how they would approach it if she went that deep. Mm-hmm. And so then Mina's in the position of having to pivot in the middle of play and try to remove danger from the situation because if Kara was continuing to, you know, blow her, she might have passed out because that's kind of how deep she had gotten. So Lena had to remove that possibility and move to something that was like she was more of the active participant. I mean, you have that moment in the story where Kara can't feel the tug of the leash. Mm-hmm. And that was scary for Lena, but obviously we were in Kara's head for that. So, like, I couldn't describe that really in, until their aftercare. Mm-hmm. And so writing is definitely a lot easier for that because, like, then you don't have to deal with the mess, you know, like, of cl- cleaning up whatever <laughs> you, you've decided to explore, you know. Um, oh, because it can get messy. It can get messy, yeah. So, like, I've written blowjobs that end up with, you know, a character vomiting and realize that vomiting isn't really my thing. I mean, definitely some people are are into that, you know, messy quality. So, like, I mean, talking specifically about blowjobs, right, like, there's kind of, like, tears. Like, I like, like, if someone's, like, drools a lot, I like that. And then I don't, I'm kind of back and forth about the crying. Mm -hmm. Like, there are some scenarios where there being tears works for me and some scenarios where it doesn't. And then... I'm not a huge fan of a blowjob ending in someone vomiting or continuing after someone vomiting. That just is kind of uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm not totally against it. It's just kind of like, that's it's messy <laughs> and smelly. And, ugh. But it, it took writing that out and being like, mm, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's... It's fine, but it, it's not really for me, you know, mm-hmm. um, to, to kind of realize that, like, that wasn't something that I was interested in exploring in my own life, you know? Like, I have no interest in seeking that out as something, you know? Mm-hmm. So there is a lot I've not done, but I have written about because I'm, I am interested in it. Or I'm, there's definitely some things that I don't know that I would ever do in my own life, mm-hmm. um, but, like, do like writing about. Because I like it in theory, but I <laughs> have my doubts about it in real life. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about it. I do know that all the stories that I've been reading about, there are definitely things I may be willing to try, but I definitely know bonded is not one. I don't like being tied up. Even mm. It would ratchet my anxiety too high. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
and it's not um, something I have any desire for. There are some other things that I would be like, oh, I wouldn't mind that or this, and I'm not brave enough to name them right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Slowly starting to get used to the fact like, oh, I like this, and oh, I like that, and that's a little bit more kinkier than maybe one would think would be mainstream. So, so this is probably a good place to stop. I want to thank you for coming on and chatting with me today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it was a pleasure to talk with you about all these cool and different subjects that I know very little about, but I'm trying to learn. Hell yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to talk. So, <laughs> And we're out. All right, my lovely fan beams, that's today's show. You can follow and connect with Mr. Ray on both Tumblr and AO3 as Mr. Ray. After that, come follow me on Tumblr and Twitter at Fandom Is Us and on AO3 as Ayaka Spencer. Don't forget, you can find links and more on the free companion post at patreon.com slash down the fandom hole. While you're there, don't forget to check out what other cool perks and benefits you can enjoy as a subscriber. And finally, a deep, heartfelt thank you to those amazing supporters who have already subscribed. Your reason this show is possible. Much love and aloha to everyone. Thank you for listening. <laughs>